On the second weekend of the surge of Black Lives Matter protests, my friends and I were protesting in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. After the protest ended, we were speaking with people and talking about the general world situation, mostly listening. And it was then that we came upon two incredibly intelligent young women who were speaking about various injustices, including experiences that they had had at their school and in their own community, speaking about these issues with such poise and grace and education. They lovingly invited us into their conversation to listen and soak in all that they had to say. It was amazing to listen and learn from these two young women who understand this situation so well and speak about these issues with passion, drive, and knowledge. After the protest, we connected on social media and I reached out to them to ask if they would guest on this show. Because every time I think about who in my mind has spoken about these issues on a way that I want to amplify as much as possible, my mind keeps returning to these two bright and astonishing young women. Kadesha Little is an 18-year-old activist who consistently works with the Safe Student Coalition in partnership with the Domestic Abuse and Sexual Assault Crisis Center, as well as the Pulsera Project. And Imani Smith is a 17-year-old who hopes to create change and inspire activism through her love of theater. But you've heard enough of me, and I am ready to let them do the talking. Please welcome Kadesha Little and Imani Smith. Thank you guys both so much for being here on the show today. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. You're welcome. We met at this protest and I sort of entered the conversation. And the first like big point that I remember us talking about was your guys' experience uh, more personally, specifically the school's cheerleading squad and their policies about hair and beauty standards. So I was wondering um, if you guys would want to possibly speak about that and how some of those things, either that specific situation or things like it, have affected you. The cheer team that we were talking about was my high school cheer team. During my time on the cheer team, the policies were more towards... Um, trying to make everyone look uniform. But when you have people of color on a team with white people, it's important to respect the individuality of each person. And I think that that was definitely lacking. Um, one of the policies that were required was that uh, all of our hair had to be straightened for competitions. And I think a big problem with that is for a white person, it might not be that big of a deal to straighten their hair, but when you have people with curly hair or kinky hair, coarse hair, um, which often is found in the black community, it's um, an extremely long process to straighten your hair, as well as an extremely damaging process. Um, so requiring girls to do that for competition uh, every two weeks was extremely unfair, and it felt very, very targeted. As for protective styles, I know that was mentioned at the protest as well. Mm -hmm. um, they never completely outright said, you can't wear box braids or you can't have dreads. But it was definitely, like, there was microaggression towards the situation. They definitely weren't excited to have the people on the cheer team with box braids or even with textured hair, really. They just wanted everyone to look uniform, but that's not realistic when you have a, a cheer team of people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities. Definitely. In our school, there's been um, things where, like, we're not allowed to wear certain things on our heads. And that type of thing very much confuses me because a lot of it is, like, you can't wear bandanas because, like, of gang affiliation, which is, like, fine. But there are also, like, these new things that are, like, trending, which are, like, hair wraps, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. And um, hair wraps were, like, originally used by, like, black women, women of color. And um, there have been many women in, in our school that wear their their hair caps or their bonnets, and they've been told that they had to take it off. And um, even if they're wearing it, like, to protect their hair or even as, like, a style, they have been told many times, including myself and including even my boyfriend, 
um, who has longer hair, like, um, he would wear, like, um, a bit, um, a headband that was just a little bit longer, and they told him to take it off. And they never really gave a reason why, like, is, like, this is gang affiliation or anything. They would just say, like, take that off, which is, which is fine. I guess it complies in the rule. But I've seen many other um, women or people in our school that aren't people of color, and they've never been told to take off their head wraps, head wraps that completely cover the top of their head, not even, like, a bandana or anything like that, um, which was never, like, directly said to be racist or anything like that, but I I do have, like, a problem with um, picking and choosing who's allowed to wear what, especially when something um, correlates so closely to a culture. And um, I just, I do think that is also very wrong. Yeah, that schools and institutions sort of build their ideas of what's acceptable around what's familiar to white people. We were also talking at the Mm -hmm. protest about that local farm and apple orchard and the way that they're hiring policies and stuff like that were a little bit... um, questionable, I guess. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, Can you uh, maybe uh, speak a little bit to that and um, some of the things that you were saying? I thought they were very powerful, um, even just in the moment. (laughs) Absolutely. So that particular farm and orchard, their current policies, so they don't openly have like only women work inside, only men work outdoors. But it's very, very apparent to the staff that works there, as well as our community, that that's what's going on, Mm. Um, which you can say that that's just traditional or that that's just their preference, but it seems to be a clear discrimination against women working out in the farm or the orchard and men working inside. Mm. Um, So that seems very, very apparent, and that's right now. As for their history... Um, that orchard and farm, as well as many farms in the area, were slave owners. Um, that in particular, I'm, I think, had one or two, but definitely at least one slave. Um, and they have failed to acknowledge that they have been slave owners. They have failed to acknowledge um, the work that has gone into their farms from Black people. Um, They do not recognize the amount of privilege they have and how they have literally benefited from sitting on the backs of Black slaves. And they don't say anything about it. It's brushed under the rug. they don't donate to any, like, the, they don't donate to the NAACP or any, like, the Black YMCA, any groups like that. Um, and they're quite conservative from my viewpoint. So I think that an important part of being a farm owner, like, current day and having um, mass amounts of land is to acknowledge and respect and honor the people who had built this land and has also um, tended to it. Not only acknowledge the indigenous people that it was stolen from and acknowledge the African or Black Islander people who have tended to it and worked on it. And I think that that's what they're failing to do. And that's why I have a huge problem with the way they are running that farm. And addition to their current sexist policies. Yeah, and I mean, there are so many businesses that do that. Like, so many, I I would say, like, most, I guess, entities that exist now don't acknowledge where their land came from and where that basis of labor came from that they're benefiting from. Yeah. It's like a much larger problem, yeah. And it's not only important to recognize that now, But it's important to recognize that always. And even if these businesses or these farms come to that realization now, I've also seen a lot of businesses like publicly on social media, like release statements, things like that, like that are like, we're with you. We stand with you, but also have been doing nothing for the cause and probably won't be doing anything in the future. And I do think a lot of people are taking this as like a publicity stunt or like, um, I need to say something right now before, like, my black followers unfollow me or my black my my black followers, like, 
won't um, shop at my business anymore or whatever. And that is not okay either because this is not like a stunt. This mm-hmm. is not a pub- uh, media game. This isn't even um, for you to just come out and say like, oh, I apologize. Like actions do speak louder than words in my opinion. And I feel that a lot of people aren't acting on their words, including um, the farms and including a lot of other big or small businesses. Yeah, it's it's very... Um, I've seen the, the phrase performative allyship thrown around quite a lot, and I think that that definitely applies to so many businesses, too, who are looking at it as they want to keep their Black customers, not that they want Correct. to support their Black community. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. I think even on a personal level, a lot of people are engaging in very performative forms of allyship. Um, Correct. A lot of things with like, a lot of things with sororities I've seen, um, where people only post the things that their sororities are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, which is not even, that's not even bad. And, um, in itself if your sorority or your like smaller community is doing something that's amazing but you need to realize that it's not only for you to recognize when those certain groups do it it's for you to recognize at all times so especially um things like that um do come off as quite performative even if they're not um intent um intentional because a lot of people um have been putting their own perception of them themselves against um in front of social justice and and criminal justice and and just justice for all clearly yeah it's um it's very uh, a lot of people i think are making it about themselves too and Correct. it shouldn't yeah most like white people are making it about themselves <laughs> Um, more, I guess, on the subject of some, of some of the more topical events that are um, the basis of these protests, specifically with the police. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to maybe touch on some of your? You don't have to talk about personal experiences or anything, but like experiences, fears, frustrations with the police in your own community or even on a national or global scale. I mean, I don't know where to start. There is too many emotions when I think of the Black Lives Matter movement and police brutality to really voice. Um, And I think for any Black American, well, really any American, but especially Black American, the video of George Floyd that had been around was extremely graphic to watch and hard to understand and almost impossible to process. So that in itself was damaging to our community. I think a part of an important part of people who work in the media is to make sure that they are adding trigger warnings and are censoring their content. And I think that was a clear lack of that when it came to George Floyd and a lot of other police brutality cases um, where their video was spread across the nation and you're seeing a person at their lowest point pleading and begging um and you're seeing a person being murdered on camera um and it's just being shared like obviously it's atrocious and obviously it's horrific and we are sharing this video um like it's a spongebob cartoon or like it's just anything and people are acknowledging yeah this is a horrible tragic event but they're not acknowledging um the point of you shouldn't really be sharing a video of someone's murder and i think it should have been used at a criminal justice level but as a public level i see why it was used because i don't think that by saying what happened to George Floyd or talking about police brutality, the movement would have ever gotten to the point it has. And I think it did require something as graphic as that to be shown. But as a Black person, as a part of the Black community, um, seeing that video, you can't help but associate seeing your brother or seeing your dad or seeing um, someone close to you that you love. So it was that in itself has been a hard thing for me and understanding why often 
victims of police brutality or black people are not censored in the media and crimes committed against them um, are not censored. Their deaths aren't censored. And that I can't say the same for white people. Um, so that's also a part of racism in the media is that they're okay with seeing a black person or showing a black person at their weakest point um, begging for their lives, but they're not okay with showing a white person who um, may have been killed and then put in a forest or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's clear the distinction between how black deaths are shown in the media versus white deaths or people of color's death versus white death Mm. um so that's a part of the problem as well talking on police brutality i am extremely frustrated because i feel like the solutions are very clear (laughs) but (laughs) for some reason they seem impossible to um obtain or to convince our higher up people to um make those changes and it is hard because uh racism is so ingrained in all of our systems but especially our criminal justice system um so it's really hard to fight that and fix it really um which is why i do believe abolishing the police as they are now is our best bet um i know i spoke at the protests that i think it's important to defund the police Um, And I think it's important for abolishment, but also reform. I mean, reform in our public safety in general. Like, I don't mean, okay, let's abolish the police, but then let's call them something else and have them do the same exact thing. I think we need to fix our public safety system, and I think that should be up to your community's discretion. Mm -hmm. So just like how the Black Panthers during the civil rights movement, often um, police their own communities. I think that it should be people from your community policing your community because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, those are the people who know your community the truest. Those are the people who um, understand the problems of your community, understand why they're happening, and understand the best how to prevent them. But it's pretty, pretty hard to consistently talk and fight and plead uh, when there's so many people who completely disrespect um, black experiences with the police um, and people of color's experiences with the police. I think that people just kind of discredit them or push them aside or bring up things that are completely irrelevant. Um, So it's kind of hard to consistently um, say how you're feeling and say these problems in the communities, which is why, going back to what I said in the beginning, which is why white people needed to see a video of a black man being murdered to believe it was happening. Um, When black people are saying it and pleading and calling and complaining, it's never enough. Like, what I mean is, like, white people had to see physically with their eyes to be like, okay, this is happening, that was disgusting and horrific, let's do something about it. But I know for, in my own life, I have been saying it to people in my life personally, and it's kind of been brushed under, the, well, like white people in my life personally, and mm-hmm. it's been brushed under the rug or acknowledged, but then moved past. But those same white people now, now that they've seen a video of a man being killed, have decided to become an activist. And I appreciate them changing their mindset, but I think that what we have been shown with the George Floyd case specifically is that people need to acknowledge these things when black people are saying them and it doesn't have to be on video for it to be true so I think people need to really listen to the black community and respect the black community and what we're saying because we do have these experiences that um go unheard pretty much or are discredited I definitely feel um the same way Definitely, 100%. When I think about my own experiences, I kind of think about, um, first small things, like I drive home pretty late sometimes when I get home late from work, and I see police cars um, just driving past me, and that, for one thing, like, gives me, like, severe anxiety. Like, I do get severe anxiety when I see a police car. And people don't, like, believe me when I say that type of thing. Because they're like, what do you need to have anxiety, like, when they're just passing you? Like, but it's not just passing me. Because there have been so many cases where they're just passing you or they're just stopping you. And people end up dead. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. 
and that type of thing is just something that no one should have to feel or should have to go through. But um, as far as in um, communities that I've been in and communities that I'm a part of, um, like Kadesha said, a lot of it is like in the media and a lot of people do have to understand through the media and especially when you in the media and especially when things are so clear like that there are some stragglers who just feel like what they have to say invalidates that situation like um they'll be like this is um horrific this is graphic but if they would have complied with the police this wouldn't have happened but do you know the details behind this but do you know this about this person? There is no but in these cases. There is no but. No matter what someone's background is as a person in their personal life, even if they've been convicted for crimes before, a police officer does not have the right to take the, the life of someone at all, especially someone um, who is either innocent in that case or was just innocent at that specific time. There is no validation for that. The court of law is supposed to be what takes your life or sentences you to something. You like the literally it's innocent until proven guilty. But police officers in this case have been disregarded that completely. They're guilty if you if they say you're guilty. Mm-hmm. And 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 that is extremely frustrating. It, exactly like Kadesha said, I, I can't help but think about my, my father or my my brother or these types of things and or even myself in this case like or or even Kadesha herself you you can't help but envision people you love or yourself in that situation and and how would people react if they knew things about my life and try, would would they try to use those things against me you know what i mean and 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 you you live your life thinking if i were to die today at the hands of someone else would would anybody would anybody seek justice for me? Would anybody want to seek justice for me? And and that's such a sad thing to even have to cross your mind. Mm-hmm. And especially in communities, I feel, especially in my community, I feel as if people are are using um, police officers and and um, military um, as we should respect them because of what they've done for our country. And I feel like that happens at such a young age, especially when you go into first grade or kindergarten. And, and the first thing they teach you is this, this caricature of a white police officer and he's friendly and he's waving or a caricature of a white fire fireman and they're, they're friendly and they're waving. And that teaches you from such a young age that police officers are friendly people. They're not, they're not people that you should go against because they, they love you and they protect you. But that simply is just not the case for all. And by getting these small grains of light shed on a specific type of person in a specific way, you're trained to respect them no matter what. And I think as we grow, people are using these small grains that they catch throughout their lives to build into a bigger thing that just has no place in in this movement or in this argument at all. Like things that, such as, um, my grandfather served in the war, so, so you need to respect police officers. Like those type of comments or, or um, comments where they're like, these things don't happen to just your kind, you know? Mm. And... That is extremely degrading. And, and although people will say, I, I support the Black Lives Matter movement, Black Lives Matter, but they're not the only ones that matter. This happens to other people, too. That is undermining the whole movement because we're not saying that this isn't happening to other people, but this is happening to black people and people of color at a criminally high rate. Mm-hmm. And people just seem to not understand that they, they don't even know want they don't even want to try to do the math you know what I mean it's mm. just people are so ignorant and I do think that it's in some ways it, it is definitely their fault for not for not even being willing to educate themselves but it's also the fault of like the education system and people in general because they don't want to talk about these things 
They don't want to say that George Washington had slaves and pulled the teeth out of slaves, and that's where he really got his dentures from. They don't want you to know that. They want you to know that, that George Washington was the founder of our country, and he's a good man, so you should respect him and respect his legacy. Those type of things. They don't, they don't want you to acknowledge the truth. They don't even want to speak about racism, especially when you're so young. But I think that when you first enter the education system up until you leave it, that is something that needs to be taught, needs to be educated upon, and needs to be forcefully put into young people's minds just as much as you would put that waving police officer, that friendly police officer, that waving George Washington, that friendly George Washington, that waving friendly Christopher Columbus, that people, many people to this day, don't even really understand that he stole land from indigenous people. They really don't get that. They they don't want to, you know? Yeah, like, our education system doesn't allow for people to confront their privilege because it's designed for people with that privilege. Exactly. Correct. And I think also Juneteenth just passing is a great example of history that's been um, looked over. And I there's countless names of black leaders who have really, really, really put a lot of change into our not only um, civil rights, but women's rights, as well as just the country as a whole that are ignored and um, not really represented in our textbooks or in our history courses. And I also want to mention something that's a little personal, uh, that my school district does not give off Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I remember we you don't, this. Yeah. We don't have the holiday off. Um, and they say it's because they're going to educate us in school during it. But I choose to opt out of going to school because it is a national holiday. And I, it's my form of protest. But for mm-hmm. my uh, peers and my classmates who do go to school, they have all told me that it's not even mentioned throughout the day. Um, that's like one of the only holidays we have for a black leader um Mm. and a black historical figure so it really goes to show that our educational system and even in smaller communities um they do whatever they want they teach whatever they want they acknowledge whatever they want it's they say there's a basis of curriculum but at the end of the day it's not all met. I can tell you that much from going to a conservative, predominantly white high school. That's mm-hmm. not the case. No matter what's written in the curriculum, no matter what's in the textbook, which which is what's in the textbook is not even fully covering black history. But despite that, there is still a bias that is taught and there is still um, things that are ignored. So, yeah, like I said, Martin Luther King Jr. being Martin Luther King Jr. Day being ignored and saying it's for educational purposes. Then why do we not have Veterans Day in school for educational purposes? Why don't we have Columbus Day in school for educational purposes or Christmas Mm -hmm. or Thanksgiving? None of those holidays are we don't go in school for educational purposes. So there's no excuse as to why we should be in school during Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I would mm-hmm. also like to add that in my specific district, they take, um, we have Veterans Day off as well as in school the next day or during that week, we will have a half day assembly where we bring in veterans to come speak to us. And the veterans that have come, came to speak at our school have said racist remarks, have been extremely sexist, and there's not really much um, interviewing or before process and the people that are brought to our school. So there has been cases of the veterans coming to our school and being a harassing um, teachers, sexually harassing our teachers and catcalling. Mm-hmm. Our teachers during while they were supposed to be teaching us about the importance of being a veteran and the importance of veterans as in our country, so I think it's ridiculous that they want to excuse um, not giving us off Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is a national holiday, and then on top of that, they also are telling black students or students who take off in general that the absence will not be excused, even though that is illegal in the state of New Jersey, that is illegal to not give off a student a national holiday or religious holidays excused. And they are still telling students that they are 
that the absence is unexcused. Yeah, and it's, like, crazy how you say that about how um, in these smaller districts, it's like they can do whatever they want. And specifically, so many conservative people complain about Common Core education. And then really they they can do whatever they want. And then they choose to stick to that adhered curriculum when it's convenient for them, but then when they are supposed to educate people about black history or about history that doesn't flatter them, they Mm. forego it completely. Exactly. I definitely had a history teacher this year that definitely struck me. And um, in actually a positive light, he had told our class, um, I teach world history, um, 11th grade world history, and I think it's very impossible to teach history from this book and we were all quite confused because you know we've all been taught out of a book like our whole lives so he had said I don't feel like there's a way for me to teach history out of this book because this book teaches purely European history as world history he said he said that makes no sense to me so what I'm going to teach you I'm going to teach you Asian and African history as well because to me There is no world history without these cultures because these cultures originated the history. Mm. These cultures are our history is built on the back of these cultures. So what I'm going to teach you first is these cultures and then we'll get into European history because that comes later. And that was honestly the first time I've ever heard a history teacher especially speak about I'm going to talk about these things and these cultures because they're more important. And that honestly made me very happy to be in that class. And also very sad that I've never had another class treated that way. And, you know, also going off of like the Martin Luther King Day thing, I think in February, Black History Month, I think it's absolutely ridiculous the way people treat Black History Month. Because, um... I've had Black History Month since I was, you know, a little girl in school, and I have been learning the exact same thing. I think I've watched um, Martin Luther's um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s "I Have a Dream" speech almost literally uh, probably seven or eight years in a row, and I think that that is a safe point that people are using to stop, you know, because they want to say we're going to acknowledge acknowledge Martin Luther King as Black History Month, when that's not true at all. Like, they they choose to use Martin Luther King because he was a peaceful protester, and it's easy to teach the history surrounding Martin Luther King, especially when it surrounds his peaceful protests, because they want to teach you that peaceful protests are the only way to get a solution. When there is so much further back history that correlates to white people using violence and things like that to get their way. And it has turned out to become revolutionary. And people refuse to acknowledge that. And they want to say that black people are vicious or rioters. And they're using the fact that they teach peacefulness in Martin Luther King as like kind of like the excuse to teach everyone to be peaceful. In my opinion, you don't have to peacefully protect your own genocide. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And especially during Black History Month, as Going into being a senior, I get extremely frustrated because this year was the first year that my my assignment in only my history class was to research um, someone who was influential, uh, an influential black, black person, and write a letter to them explaining their accomplishments and how much they've affected your own personal life. Um, that was an, an assignment for everyone. And... Me personally, I picked a couple different people and I had said, like, you changed the movement. You changed the way I viewed myself. You gave me this, this, this. A lot of the uh, people that were white were saying, you're a great basketball player. You're a a great dancer. Nothing was really said about their accomplishments in activism or anything like that. They really took a lot of the surface level things and thanked them for them. There's so many conservative white boys in my school that are so hyped for the NBA to start back up, but refuse to acknowledge Black Lives Matter. You would not have the NBA without us. Like, I'm being so genuine. Black History Month, I feel like, is just reused and recycled. No one, especially when you get older, you should be taught 
about the inventions that you would not have without black people, the science that you would not have without black people, the land that the, the community that you would not have without black people. But a lot of that is just hidden under Martin Luther King. And people like to condemn other other activists of that time, especially especially someone like Malcolm X. I did I did a report on Malcolm X, and someone had come up to me and said, "Why why are you doing a report on Malcolm X? He he was he was violent." And using that to undermine him and his success and what he did for for the Black Lives in America, how he united us, how he how he fought and how he how he had a sneaking suspicion that people were going to kill him how his last days were numbered and he still went to the Audubon ballroom and he and he still rose up and spoke even though he knew that every day could possibly be his last mm-hmm. he he over that he that these people had so severely for him not just him either but the hate that people give him because of the violence or, or whatever is just so outraging. And the way that people want you, want people to ex-nay certain people that did certain things for this movement is just absolutely ridiculous. And I think should be more taught upon at school, especially. Um, it's just, it's also crazy that, you know, the way that people talk about, you, how you mentioned Malcolm X, how people talk about um, violence and protesting versus how they would speak about it if it were perhaps not black people, perhaps if it was white people, the way that people exactly. sort of criminalize behaviors based more on coding than than on like the actual behavior itself the way that people call certain things violence when they're when they're done by black people but but it's the just way that getting people rowdy. can celebrate the way that people can celebrate by burning things when uh, their football team wins but when we're fighting for justice target matters more mm-hmm. you know that type of thing yeah, exactly. As if, as if, distro- and the the whole destroying your own communities situation that people are really bringing up a lot, where they're like, "Oh, destroying the target is destroying your community." When like that target is gentrification, like the target destroyed the community. Or when they say the rioting or the looting or the destruction is also destroying the black community and black businesses. That's the same way people are uh, used to say, um, "Isn't it ironic Malcolm X got killed by his own people?" You know, you don't even know the story behind that. You don't know the story behind, like, they like to say black-on-black crime. You're you're defeating your own movement. That, why is it not called white-on-white crime? That's just, that's just crime, isn't it? Black-on-black mm-hmm. crime is just crime, isn't it? Yeah. When black-on-white crime, they, they like to say as well, black-on-white crime. Do you, do you not realize that um, black people are oppressed into certain societies because they can't get jobs? They can't get real jobs. So, so they do result to selling drugs or whatever. They, they fear their lives, so they become a stone wall where, where they can take the liberty of, of killing people where they feel they, feel, um, fe- they, they fear fear. They, they, they are fearing their lives. People, mm-hmm. These people are fearing their lives be, due to oppression. And then they're trying to use these pe- these oppressed people and say these this speci- specific people, the ghetto, is committing wh- black-on-white crime. Do you not know that the white people oppress these people into the, the ghetto, so you say? You know, and people just completely miss that fact. And they like to jump to what is more comfortable for them, to things that they like to bring up, oh, the rioting and the looting is bad. Oh, you should respect police officers, that type of thing, so that they can sleep soundly and clearly at night, knowing that this is what is right. Obviously, we know that police officers shouldn't be killed. It's wrong as well. Obviously, we know that drugs and crime is wrong as well. These are things that are very obvious. We all know that. We are all taught that. But for you to use that as an argument against this movement is just basically so that you can feel like you're doing the right thing so you can sleep soundly at night. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's rooted in this cycle of racism that people are continuing institutionally, personally. It's, It's a whole cycle that continues. As young black women living in this movement, what are you think the things that you think are the most, that you're the most passionate about? Like if you could speak and the whole world would hear you and understand you, like what are the things that you 
would say? So, as a black woman, I feel that I am often reduced to being a black woman. And that in itself is a problem because I'm not my skin. I'm not my hair. Um, I am a person with thoughts and um, goals and emotions and initiatives. So, relating to black issues specifically... If you want to talk about the whole world listening, I think it's important for, I think, people to acknowledge their own privilege and their own racism and prejudice. Um, So that's definitely something I would, if I was given the platform to speak on, talk about, because I think that's our biggest issue. It starts in yourself, really. Um, It's all about how you were raised checking checking your beliefs like if you were raised in a racist home uh, or if you have a hatred towards certain people checking that and being like okay or even like it within the black community it's very very common for black people to have prejudice on other black people mm-hmm. um or like dark-skinned black people having a problem with light-skinned black people and vice versa and i think it's just important that no matter who you are where you're from what you think you know or what you think you don't know, um, to constantly analyze yourself and reflect on yourself and think, why am I thinking the way I'm thinking? Is it because of the school system? Is it because of how I was raised? Am I okay with thinking this way? Should I be thinking this way? What can I do to help? Um, And then overall, like the progress of the Black community is really reliant on our political leaders to acknowledge us and to acknowledge the damage that has been put into the black community. And I think that people um, don't like when black people speak on slavery um, because Mm. it was 400 years ago. But I think what people fail to realize is that sharecropping, which is basically a form of slavery uh, with a different name, was my grandfather was a sharecropper like it was very very recent and also segregation civil rights movement and we're still seeing the effects of our history and just because something's in history doesn't mean that it's not affecting the present so i think it's important for people to acknowledge that and in my own community in the black community um i do want to touch on black on black crime because it has been something that has been addressed. It's been it's being addressed currently. It's been addressed previously, um, and I think people who want to um, invalidate the Black Lives Matter movement will say, "Oh well, black on black crime is also a thing," and they're not wrong. But it's just a separate issue. I mean, Black Lives Matter is talking about police brutality, which is talking about a job a career that people are given that directly oppresses black people. I'm not going to say it's the equivalent of being a slave owner or being kind of like a a slave uh, tender, but kind of because you literally are seeing these people in this uniform and this badge and whether they acknowledge it or not, they are contributing to an oppressive system. And Mm -hmm. when I say all cops are bad, because I want to touch on this as well, When I say all cops are bad, I am not saying that Henry, who puts on his police officer uniform and goes home to his wife and children or whatever you want to say, is necessarily an awful person um, and should be in jail for life. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. And I, I think I'm pretty fair to speak that that's not really what any people in the black community are saying. I think the point is that all cops are bad because the career in itself forces a person to uphold this energy and this um, authoritative position. And it contributes to the incarceration of Black people, which in itself is, mod- it's literally we're modern, it's modern day taking away the Black vote. A not allowing prisoners to vote is directly affecting um, the Black community because there are so many people who are black, who are wrongfully accused of crime, or who are excessively charged and are put in prison for way longer than they are supposed to be, and then are not allowed to vote and contribute to society. So I think that when people hear all cops are bad, they take it very, very personal, 
And it's more on the job in itself is bad, not the people in the uniforms. Um, and if any cops are listening or any cops hear me say all cops are bad, I hope they understand that you are actively making the choice to oppress people when you put on that uniform. You are, and it's inevitable. You are. So if you're going to say, I'm a cop, but I'm also with Black Lives Matter, it's impossible to be both. That's like saying, I'm a murderer, but I'm innocent. Um, you, If you're a cop and you say, I'm with the Black Lives Matter movement, and you say you understand the criminal justice system and how it abuses Black people, then you are not really a part of the movement because... You can't really be both. So, yeah, overall, what I would just say is to really look at yourself first. Check yourself. Check your family. Um, It starts at home. And it's also a big part of our educational systems. Um, Question authority. Literally question your teachers and um, question what you're learning. Question what everyone tells you because you shouldn't just take um, what I say or what anyone says as fact, it's important to do your own research to find out about black historical figures who you might not have known about in school, to find out more about white historical figures that you may have learned in school, but are actually not as great as they were put out to be. So it's important to do your own research to educate yourself. Um, and then also for anyone who's protesting right now, it's really, really important. And I know I talked about this at the protest too, um, for me and for specifically black women, but um, people in general to protect themselves because people have, many, many people have gone missing. Um, Aluatoy and Salau was a recent black woman who um, had been molested and then killed, who was at a protest. Um, so it's important for black women to take care of themselves, protect themselves during this time because it's very, very dangerous. It's um, important to protect your identity because it is known that Often the FBI has stepped in, like their suicide, well, their suicide request pretty much of Martin Luther King Jr. or Black Panthers um, members being wrongfully accused of crimes or killed um, or gone missing. So it's important to protect yourself um, because it's it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous to constantly be speaking out, um, especially as a person of color, even more so a Black person, even more so a Black woman. So that's what I would say. For myself, I think I would probably say probably around the same type of thing. Um, question yourself always. Question um, question everything because everything changes in, in an instant, you know? Mm-hmm. And like Hadesha was saying, people don't want to bring up slavery. People don't want to talk about slavery because it was so long ago. But they're so quick to talk about like the Boston Tea Party or um, the Boston Massacre or like just the military, like during D-Day, these types of things like where they're like, we're going to go back in history and and talk about these things because this is what our country's found on. This is what our country's built on. This is how we got our freedom. But they don't want to go back and talk about that thing because uh, about slavery or anything else because it makes them uncomfortable. And I think it's super important to make people uncomfortable because that's getting somewhere. You know, if you're not talking about it at all, they're comfortable in their own beliefs. But to make people uncomfortable and to make them think and to really make their heads spin is really what I like to do because, honestly, a lot of people, I feel are just sincerely uneducated, you know? And and even if I'm not an educator in the school system, I think as a black woman in America, as a black person in America, it is my job to educate the the uneducated because it's there's no reason why our history doesn't matter because it was so long ago and, the, and their history does, you know? And I think it's really important that police officers especially realize the system that they're in, realize their privilege. And if they can't quit their job or can't get another job, they need to realize that the criminal justice system needs reform because you could be that voice of reform in the movement. You could be that person to be on the inside to create change and a lot of people don't get that. They're like, I'm like, like it is just saying I'm with the movement, but continue on with their job, go about their life. If you're with the movement and you really are with the movement and you're an officer or you're someone who has more authority in the community or whatever it is, 
you need to step up and rise to the challenge. You need to hear your black community. You need to see your black community, but not not only that, but you need to be avidly and actively with your community. And it's not enough to just not be racist. It is only when we are actively anti-racist is when things become more active and become more able to change. Because if you're just like, I'm not racist, and you go about your life, you you need to act on that. You need you as well need to, even if you're not a black person, you need to seek justice for the people who need justice. You know, the cops that that even killed Breonna Taylor, they 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 haven't even been arrested, you know? They they're they're fired. And and that's enough because they're not racist. So so them not being racist is you're fired and that's enough. But to be anti racist that person needs to be charged, they need to be convicted, and they need to be put away for life. And and no, it's not, it's, they, no, they don't need the death penalty because that's putting them out of their misery. They they need to sit and they need to rot because it's, it's not fair. It's never fair. It hasn't been fair. And you know what? We're not going to stop fighting until it is fair because there are people that have these forms of, microaggression within them and even um for myself i think the black lives matter movement is even more than police brutality it's 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 canceling out racism as a whole everywhere because although police brutality is such such a huge part of the movement and what we're fighting for police officers were once kids you know and they were once taught these seeds of microaggression and that led to either personal racism or racism in the field that they are in. So it really does start with the community. It really does start with the young. It really does start with our with our own people and with educating people that, that aren't of our race because we are all going to grow up at one point. We're all going to be voters. We're all going to be active, working part of, a, of the community. And it's not just the people that are elders now or are huge parts of the community now. It starts with us because it would have started with them, too. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for people, especially right now, especially if you weren't doing it before. If you weren't doing it before, it's super important for you to change what you were doing before and realize that that wasn't enough even if you thought it was enough even if you still think it is enough the actions and the things going on today with george floyd brianna taylor even people in our community that i know they see i know that they know they are acting upon these small forms or even big forms of racism it's important to see that clearly these things are still happening and whatever we were doing before simply could not even pass as enough because of the consequences we're seeing clearly before our eyes today. It's important to build upon the movement, even if you were doing something before, even if you weren't doing anything before, to keep building, to keep wanting. You know, it's not it's not bad and it's not evil for us to continue to want. And continue to beg because clearly it it's it's called for mm-hmm. and we need to continue to try to eradicate all forms no matter where they come from no matter how deeply they're rooted all forms of racism colorism sexism xenophobia all these things are tied into not necessarily all one same thing but they're they're tied into the fact that it is so so clear that there's no way to go back but there are so many different avenues to go forward i think it needs to be more required of every institution and every single being it needs to be required that you are enacting change because if you're not you aren't doing anything even if you say that you are even if you say that you're with the movement you believe in this 
if you are not actively trying to create change, you are doing nothing. And even if that is publishing a petition every single day or many petitions on social media, that to me is a form of, of you creating change. Because not only are you raising awareness to the issue, but you are also actively saying this issue needs to be stopped and advocating for this petition. Even if that's your form of change, that is great. Mm-hmm. But if you were doing that before, you need to realize that it wasn't enough and you need to move forward and do something, continue doing that, but do, do something more. Because we all can't just keep publishing the petitions, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not enough for all of us to do that. So if even just one person realizes, hey, we all need to move forward, you can be the voice of your community. You can be the voice of your friend group. You can be the voice of your family. And that is okay. That is, that is even people that think, oh, I may get backlash. Um, people may not like what I have to say. That's okay. That is more than okay. Because there will always be us on the other side to, to hold your hand and to thank you and to be grateful for you to be with us and to be actively with us. And I think that's really important. What does a world look like in which you feel entirely safe? I don't really think, for me at least, there is a world that I would feel 100% safe in. But what I can say to progress towards my feeling of safety is to abolish the police. Mm-hmm. We, we should abolish the police, at least defund them. And I would like to see more um, social workers on the call or more mental health workers on the call instead of a man with or woman or person with a denim badge at my doorstep every call. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, if a four-year-old has been abandoned in a park, the best option is not to send a intimidating person with a gun on them and a taser mm-hmm. um, and a baton to handle the situation. So what I think would make me feel more safe is to defund the police and eventually abolish them, as well as reform public safety overall. And that if you are going to have people who have that authority and who have weapons on them to handle situations, they should have at least a bachelor's degree, as well as community service hours in the community they plan on working in. And on top of that, they should also go through the same crisis training that 911 callers may adhere to or suicide hotline that the response teams may adhere to. So that's what I think would make me feel more safe. But overall, specifically with police brutality, I think the safest option for all of us is to abolish public safety as we know it right now and then move to reform because it's hard to change um the criminal justice system as is right now because racism is so ingrained in it it's very very hard to flip that script and backtrack so i think what our best option is is to abolish it as we know it and go from there and that would make me feel most safe yeah i definitely agree like, 100%. I agree with that. And as well as the crisis training, I also believe that they should go through um, mental health checks, you know, like mental health checks periodically, not only when they are first hired, but periodically, because um, that job can really take a mental toll on someone. And, uh, and and even not even that just that job, but just that authority can really go to someone's head and mental health is real although people don't want to acknowledge it always as like a health issue that is a health issue and the same way an officer would be put on leave if or desk duty if they broke their leg or they um had like an infraction which should be the same if someone is not mentally all there because if you're not if you get anxiety from making a house call or, or like that video of the officer that got anxiety from going to McDonald's. If that's really how you act on the job, you you really shouldn't be on the force. You really shouldn't be out there wielding a gun and, and, you know, protecting everyone's rights. Because you're not in the correct mental state to do that. 
And um, that might not be the case with all officers, but that's exactly why we need a mental health check. For myself, um, if I were to feel completely safe, I agree with Keisha, I don't really think I would ever feel completely safe. But if we are talking about, like, you know, um, a euphoric world or whatever, um, I think I would feel more safe if not only the police were abolished or defunded, but if people as a whole were just held more accountable for the small things that they do. If if I could walk around and not be um, a piece of, of caramel to someone or of a tan goddess or these, these fetishizing things, if I could just walk around and be a human or if, if, if Kadesha couldn't walk around and be dark chocolate, you know, mm-hmm. trying to sexualize our, our being... You know, trying to trying to make it okay that you like our race because you think our skin tone is attractive or or you think our culture makes us sexy. That's that's not what you need to be thinking. You need to love everyone as they are for being human and for being beautiful and and perfect and in all cases you know i don't walk around calling white men a beautiful piece of fluff you know like that's just not that's just not how i think of people i don't i i don't even think of of black men as you know sexy chocolate i just don't that doesn't cross my mind yeah. Uh, when I'm looking to be in a relationship or to love someone or to have a family or a friend. I, and I do think that a lot of times we are seen as um, tokens. You know, people think it's okay to have black friends or to be friends with me because it, it makes their friend group look more ex- uh, um, acceptable um, because they're not racist because they hang out with me. You know, that's not an excuse at all in any way and I think if we could just eradicate that way of thinking as a whole we are not our skin color we are not directly correlated with our culture we don't have to look a certain way or be what you want us to be to be attractive you know we don't have to be a certain type of black woman to be attractive we are humans just as you and I think if people were more inclined to see us as such it would be a better safer place we're not criminals we're not we're not here to harm you we're not we're we're here to live live our lives provide for our families and to experience the same freedom and the same joys and the same happiness as you are, as anyone is, anyone that lives in this country and swears and stands up for that Pledge of Allegiance, anybody, or even if you don't stand, if you're just sitting there, because I've, I've heard that um, standing for uh, or sitting during the flag is, is disrespectful. Clearly, that's not the case and that's not the message at all. But if you could look past that and, and see that what we are fighting for what we need, what what we value at this time, I think that would make me feel a lot safer and feel a lot more included and loved in, in any community in this America. I think it's important for white people to protect their black counterparts at all times. So if you're at a protest or even if you are online to reach out to black people because it really is time for white people to uh, step up and make the reparations. Mm -hmm. So if you are white, I think it's important to um, stand in front. If you're white and you're at a protest um, and things are getting violent because of the police, it's important for you to stand in front because you'll have an easier run in and your privilege will protect you um, in a way that black people don't have. So I would just say to really look out for the black community and not just the black community, also other people of color, LGBTQ plus, um, and just make sure we're protecting one another and helping take care of one another because at the end of the day, the police don't protect us. So we have to protect ourselves. That's my closing notes. It's very important to stand up for what you believe in. Even myself, I've been told that I have come off as aggressive or an angry black woman, you know, or why do I keep fighting with everyone? Why am I trying to pick an argument? You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Um, you standing up for what you believe in, whether you're um, black or white, is not a problem. And no matter what people say to you, you're not picking an argument. You're you're starting a conversation that needs to be started. You know, and um, I think a lot of people like to confuse the two and say that you are trying to be violent or say whatever they would like about you to excuse the fact that you aren't going to stand by anymore and let people who say these things do these things. And that is so important. Even if you are a white ally, it is so important for you to speak up because when you recognize your privilege and you recognize that things are wrong with people that are not of color or not black or whatever, you, you're, reali- you're coming one step closer to helping everyone realize the truth because a lot of times people don't want to hear it from a black person. And that sucks so bad. But if you can realize that people don't want to hear it, then you need to realize um, as a white person that if you if they don't want to hear it from you, they're going to hear it from me. You know what I mean? Because what we're fighting for is for equality. We want to be just as equal as the white man or the white woman. So if you realize that we are not equal to you and you are also advocating for equality, that is such a big step. And I think it's important for every every black woman, every black man, every black person, every LGBTQ, every every minority to realize that when you stand up and when you talk about what you need to talk about, what this movement and, and how we're treated, it's there's nothing against you. There is nothing wrong with you. You are completely in the right. And you have every right to say that. And you're not arguing and you're not being aggressive. You are fighting for something that has a cause, has a purpose. And I don't want anyone to be deterred from speaking up and being empowered because it is so important to realize that not to let people diminish your argument, diminish your shine. Keep going. Keep fighting. If you have to pick an argument, keep doing that. Because at the end of the day, if you don't, people are just going to become, like I said before, even more comfortable in their beliefs. So I just want everyone out there to know that you're you're not aggressive. You're not mean. You're nothing of the sort. You are an activist. You are so important to what we are doing, to what everyone is doing for this movement. And we thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for talking with me for being on the show with me today it's been a pleasure (laughs) thank you that was kadesha little and imani smith thank you guys so much for joining me today I really appreciated all of your fantastic, intelligent insights. I can tell that you are going to go on and do truly amazing things in this world. Just a quick reminder that this is certainly not the end and that there's still a lot of work to do. In the description, I am leaving New York Magazine's compilation list of 142 ways to donate in support of Black Lives Matter and communities of color. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope today is good. Namaste.